it's time. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guys, gals, and non-binary pals to another episode of All the Above. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeffrey Garrett, along with Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please remember to hit that subscribe button. We greatly appreciate it. If you're listening to us on the go, listening to the podcast version, thank you for doing that. Please remember to hit the follow button because these episodes are going to start coming at you with a little more, little more speed, a little more regularity. So you don't want to miss anything. So remember to follow. And again, thank you for tuning in. All right, folks, we have another great episode for you today. Um, and in our main segment, we're going to get into a really interesting topic. Manuel here is going to tell us about uh, some students who have ghosted him. Uh, maybe we're applying too much pressure to some of our kids about succeeding and getting into competitive colleges. So fascinating topic. Stay tuned. We're going to get into that. Uh, but first, we launch with our do now. All right, folks, now it's time for a segment that we call the do now, where we take a look at recent headlines in education. Jeff, how are we doing the do now today? Well, Manuel, since reading is fundamental and literacy is the backbone to all learning, we are going to dive into some key vocabulary in today's lexicon. Okay, lexicon. I like that. Yeah. Uh, So our first term up today, Manuel, is inflation. Inflation. All right. I teach economics. That's the gradual increase in the price of goods and services over time. Mm, uh, That is a true definition for inflation, but not the one we were looking for. We are talking about grade inflation. Mm. Now, according to a new report from the conservative education think tank, the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, Mm -hmm. we have a national problem with grade inflation. Um, They had some really interesting statistics uh, to come out in this recent report. So 90% of American parents believe their child is performing at or above grade level. And 85% say their kid is on track for college success. However, only about 40% of high school graduates nationally are ready to enter into college classes without needing any type of remediation. This this would be at four-year institutions. Um, Moreover, about one-third of the students that they sampled who scored a B as their end-of-course grade um, scored uh, proficient on end-of-class exams. So that means two-thirds of the kids who got a B did not score proficient on the end of class exam. So uh, some reason for concern here, don't you think? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, great inflation. Um, like you just said, you've got to be in algebra, but you couldn't score proficient on the exam. And, you know, we could question whether or not the exam, um, those end of course exams are accurate measures of a student's uh, grasp of the content and the material. But in general, like if you got a high score in the, a high grade in the class, you would, you would think that that would also include, you could, that would also mean that you could score well on the test. Um, one, I think this is one of the reasons why grades have become so controversial in teaching circles. You know, there's debates over whether or not a student should get a zero for a misassignment versus getting uh, 50% for a misassignment because of mathematics of how a four-point uh, grading system works. There's a lot of teachers out there who are trying to, to convert to a, a grade list system where the grades are based on mastery of content. One teacher that comes to mind who's doing that and who's um, posted quite a bit about that, her name's Alicia uh, Joe Hall, and her, her website she has... Um, a little bit of reflection of her transition away from percentages and points in the grade book. Um, but in general, this is really concerning to me, um, being that the study found that this is most prominent in affluent communities. Because as a teacher who works with predominantly uh, students of color and marginalized populations, you know, I don't want to be holding their feet to the fire when it comes to your grade reflecting your mastery on a test. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not doing that, but in an affluent community, the parents are hounding the teachers and, and perhaps pressuring them into making sure that student gets an A or B, you know, that could be an unfair advantage. So um, it's definitely concerning. 
Yeah, uh, agreed. This also is not just a problem at the high school level. Um, their study showed that um, at the college level, we're seeing the same thing. So in colleges today, the most common grade that's issued in all courses is an A, when back in the 1960s, A's made up 15% of all wow. grades, right? So we've seen just objectively right. massive grade inflation there. Um, and, you know, there there is this issue still of... Uh, of grades being pretty well correlated with uh, long-term academic success, with GPA being right. well correlated with long-term success in college. So, uh, you know, there there's reason for concern, but maybe it's not as big of a deal as we think. I, you know, it's it's a bit complicated, but interesting data to, to grapple with. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so time for our next word. Our next word for today's lexicon is penalty. Uh, penalty, like fouling someone in soccer and then you get the, the cool free uh, kick where you bend it like now. Beckham? Uh, no, no, not that, okay. actually. Uh, penalty as in the teacher wage penalty. So it's common knowledge that by entering the teaching profession, um, you're sacrificing a little bit on the wage compensation um, level. So a new study came out by the Economic Policy Institute that looked at what they call the teacher wage penalty, which is the amount of compensation a teacher gives up by entering the teaching profession versus entering another profession that they are qualified for. And the Economic Policy Institute found that relative teacher pay has been eroding for over half a century. So the average weekly wages of public school teachers adjusted for inflation have decreased $27 a week from 1996 until today. Whereas in contrast, weekly wages of other college graduates rose $137 a week over that same period. So in other words, teachers are gradually being paid less per week for equal work that college, other college graduates are getting paid more per week for. Uh, so this wage penalty essentially was 1.8% in 1994, meaning in 1994, if you're a teacher, you are um, earning about 1.8% less per week than uh, another college graduate. However, now it's 18.7% less. Mm. What's going on here? Yeah, I'm going to borrow one of your uh, your sayings from a previous episode, and this is one of these topics that just grinds my gears, okay? <laughs> uh, we've talked about this on a few different occasions yeah. with teachers in general, with preschool educators. Uh, we've talked about this through the lens of the strikes in West Virginia and Oklahoma and Arizona. Um, you know, just like this data speaks so compellingly to the fact that we underpay our teachers. We underpay our teachers in terms of the standard of living we would hope and expect for someone to be able to afford by having, right. you know, done well and gotten a bachelor's and a master's and being a professional, but also from the standpoint of how they're doing relative to their peers in other professions. So uh, this just strikes me as such, such concrete proof that we like to say one thing about valuing educators and we do something very different. Um, so it, it angers me because uh, what are we saying about the value of our children and what we want to invest in um, and what's important in our society if we're not paying our teachers well? Uh, I don't need our teachers to be rich and flying around private planes and helicopters, mm -hmm. but folks should not have to work second jobs to buy groceries or to, you know, take a vacation once a year, right? So, uh, you know, the hopeful thing about this perhaps is that with some of the strikes that have happened nationally, with some of the growing attention on this matter, public perception and attitudes seem to be shifting right. uh, towards acceptance that this is real and this is something we need to change so maybe a sign for hope but uh but you know my my gears are grinding uh, <laughs> right now this is unacceptable yeah yeah absolutely I, I I'm concerned for the future of the profession in the sense that if the uh, weekly wages of teachers are trending down since the 90s and weekly wages for other graduates college graduates are trending way up um, why would I if I'm you know a college student right now 
why would I really consider teaching if the outlook, the long-term outlook might, you know, might be particularly negative? But like you said, hopefully things are, are moving in the right direction after these strikes and public perception and sort of discussion about teacher compensation. Yeah, I, I hope so. I yeah. hope so. All right, on to our final lexicon term of the day. Uh, Manuel, mm -hmm. this term is a little bit complicated, is okay. capricious. Capricious, capricious. So sticking with the, the soccer theme, capricious as in like a ref that's out there making just arbitrary and, and, and really damaging calls for a game. <laughs> uh, close, close. Uh, we're talking about capricious as in a federal judge's ruling that Betsy DeVos's recent attempt to prevent students defrauded defrauded by for-profit colleges from accessing loan forgiveness was, quote, unlawful, arbitrary, and capricious. Now, uh, in case you haven't seen this in the news, um, the during the Obama administration, there was a new regulation passed called Borrower Defense to Repayment, which essentially said that uh, students who had been defrauded by some of these for-profit colleges, the biggest ones that you probably have seen commercials for and heard of include right. ITT Technical Institute and uh, Corinthian College, um, which both went bankrupt, right, and left all their students high and dry with mounds of debt. Um, all of that debt, or almost all of that debt, was federal loans, right? So these right. are taxpayer-funded subsidies to these for-profit companies right. that then left folks with no degree, no transferable credits, nothing, right? So we passed this regulation to say folks can um, apply to the government to say they were defrauded and they can get loan forgiveness, right? There was about $13 billion um, in loan forgiveness available to these students. Betsy DeVos and company want to make it very difficult uh, for students to access this. So making the burden of proof on the student to show that the university intentionally defrauded them in order to receive these funds. So, um, you know, I know Betsy's your girl and, uh, you know, what, just what the heck is going on here, man? First of all, I'm shocked that we are on to season two of All the Above and Betsy DeVos is still in office, uh, still in her position, because there was a time where we thought that she's not going to make it beyond a month or two. And here we are, our second season, she's still there. Um, I'm not surprised by this at all. These for-profit colleges are largely predatory in their practices or have been largely predatory in their practices, um, especially when it comes to low-income and marginalized students who, who are really just seeking any opportunity they can to, to, to support themselves and their families and have a bright future. And oftentimes these for-profit colleges uh, basically wine and dine them with promises of, of these great careers and salary and this and that, and they take out these loans. And to, to hear that DeVos is, is on the side of these predators makes sense because her and her family being the billionaires that they are, um, you know, that's that's their circle. Their circle are these big for-profit entities, and it doesn't um, surprise me in the least that she's on their side more than the side of the average American student who has been defrauded by these colleges. Um, it's incredibly troubling. It's not surprising in the least. Um, it's capricious for sure in terms of their, um, just the way they've been maneuvering this. I don't know. I mean, I wish I saw a beacon of hope. I wish I saw this going in a different direction. I mean, it's promising that a federal judge stepped in and, and called her out for, for this. But, um, you know, we'll see what the long-term uh, consequences are. I mean, here we are, you know, these people are, are what are their credit scores looking like? What are their financial opportunities looking like in terms of trying to uh, advance in their own lives? I mean, these are students who are growing older and older, and, you know, this is still unsettled unsettled business. Yeah, and to that point, most of the students who attend these universities tend to be older, tend to mm. be parents, tend to be women, tend to be people of color, right? So we're talking about folks who are really working hard to get ahead, who uh, frankly represent some of the most economically or politically marginalized folks right. in our society, and this is just a naked attempt to do harm to that group.
Hello there. You're probably wondering why your video stopped. Well, we had the audacity to have this story about Betsy and record it without thinking that perhaps there'd be an update before we even had time to edit and post it. Jeff, there's an important update. What's going on? Uh, first thing is, uh, she's like a cartoon villain, man. It's like Skeletor. <laughs> like every episode, there's some new terrible thing to talk about. Uh, so the important update is, uh, since November, uh, when she was ruled by a federal judge to implement the uh, loan borrower defense rule um, and see immediate relief for the hundreds of thousands of students who've been defrauded by for-profit colleges, Betsy DeVos has failed to implement the judge's rule. So she's now being sued again um, to force immediate implementation of this. And just to give you a, a sense of the scope, this means that about $250 million in loans should be discharged right now to over 165,000 students who've made claims under this federal rule. Um, now, this not only includes cancellation of debt, it also includes borrowers being reimbursed for past payments and for their adverse credit history to be uh, repaired. So um, stay tuned for more. I'm sure there'll be more to come. Hit the website for all the links. Back to the show. So, yeah. uh, you know, elections matter. And a lot of times, you know, the, the news and the hype is all about the presidency and all about, you know, these things that are far away in Washington. Um, and, and they don't get to the fact that, like, your loan bill that comes in the mail at the end of every month, right? Mm -hmm. um, elections have consequences on that, right? It's very right. personal very quickly when you dig into the policy. And uh, I'm glad to see that this judge put a, put a stop to uh, Betsy and company. Yeah. Um, striking this blow at, at folks uh, and protecting these these crazy for-profit institutions. Yeah, but I mean, the truth of the matter is even if and when Betsy, you know, steps away from her position under this administration, whoever replaces her is going to be of the same same ilk and same mindset. So like you said, elections matter and we need to um, definitely take hold of our Department of Education and put it um, back on the side of the people as soon as can, as soon as we can. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that does it for today's Do Now. And up next, we have an assessment where I'm going to tell you about students ghosting me. Stay mm. tuned. It's cold out there. <laughs> All right, folks, for today's main segment, we have an assessment from Manuel. What do you got for us, man? All right, so I want to tell you about a time I've been ghosted. So... Being ghosted or having all communication with a romantic interest abruptly cut off without explanation is a hot topic among the millennial and millennial adjacent crowds. The HBO show Insecure featured a prominent ghosting this season that set Twitter ablaze on the topic. It hurts to be ghosted. And as a teacher of high schoolers, I too have been ghosted. It certainly doesn't hurt in the same way that a romantic ghosting does, but it still hurts. I teach at a close-knit school with a rich tradition of graduates coming back to visit teachers and speak to students. In my classroom, I have a wall of photos of students from years back that I refuse to take down because so many of them return to visit. It's just what we do. Relationships at our school simply don't end at graduation. We're in the black and brown corner of a highly segregated city, and we've always been the underdogs. So we got us because nobody else out there does. But sometimes the students I'm closest to and who I most want to stay in touch with ghost me. They graduate, they say they'll stay in touch, and then nothing. No dropping by to check in, no response to my how's life after high school messages, just nothing. Over the years, I've bumped into a few of these students around the city, and the reason for their ghosting became clear. 
They were worried about disappointing me. We sell big dreams as teachers. College, career, be great, change the world. Although communicating these high expectations is important, we too often fail to communicate both our unconditional love for students and our understanding that everyone has their own individual path to take. Schools preach college and buzzworthy careers in STEM, but these aren't for everybody. We know this, but to what extent do we communicate it to our students? The double whammy of teachers expecting you to be great and social media fooling you into believing that everybody else has life figured out. That can make a young adult feel as if they're a failure. And when that teacher who did so much to try to prepare you for college comes calling, it can be difficult to respond, hence going ghost. I've had a few prominent ghostings in my career. I once came across a student at a local junior college who had gone off to a very prominent university after high school. When he saw me, his face froze. He clearly wasn't prepared to tell me about what he was doing taking classes at our local JC. I thought he was out of town at that big university. He explained to me that he didn't cut it at that university and he didn't want me to know that he had to start all over at a junior college. My heart was broken, not because this phenomenal student landed back at a junior college, but because he didn't feel comfortable telling me this. Ouch. A glaring area of weakness in my teaching practice is effectively communicating the fact that I will love and support my students no matter where they end up after our time together. I know that success can look different for different people. I know that obstacles exist that set some people back. I know that some folks take longer than others to discover who they are and what they want to do in life. I know that other folks never discover what they want to do in life, but somehow find a happy fit nonetheless. I also know that many students go off to college straight from high school only to hate it and to struggle immensely. So then why am I still signaling, either directly or indirectly, that I expect my students to fit a particular model of post-secondary success? Lots of former students have hit me with, uh, life is going great, Rustin, I'm, I'm gonna go back to school soon, as if to apologize for not continuing on in education. And this, to me, is unnecessarily apologetic. It's definitely not their fault that they feel the need to reassure me in this way. It's my fault. I hate that a student of mine would ghost me on account of feeling like I'd be disappointed in them or judge them or lecture them about their life. Clearly, I have to revisit my messaging and face my own shortcomings with regards to how I speak to students about their futures and my hopes and dreams for them. So to all the students who have ghosted me, please hit me back. Whatever big dreams I tried to sell you before aren't what matters now, nor are they what I care about. I just want to check up on you and make sure you're good wherever in life you may be. Wow, man. Well, you are, you're really just pushing my thinking uh, with this assessment. That's I what think. we do on all um, of the above. That's, that's right. That's right, folks. Uh, and, you know, in all seriousness, right, we're coming up on kind of the, the apex of college application season. Right. Uh, right now and you know it's like the the sprint to the the January 1st deadline or yep. you know around their deadlines for most colleges across the country and um, and on the one hand it's like it's a really beautiful moment it's the it's the sort of procedural transition from child to adulthood right. and it's the like bringing into fruition the hopes and dreams but it's also a very high pressure time period and uh you know some of that pressure is put on students directly from us some of it is themselves you know putting it on uh you know self-imposed um but uh you're really making me think about you know in, in our work where you know we're working in communities where there's been you know achievement gaps and opportunity gaps for 
decades or longer. And we are very much in the, in the business of um, working to correct for those things. And we got to push and use every minute we have, you know, with young people to, to be, um, you know, helping them achieve their goals and, and hopes and dreams. Um, but, you know, what might be the, the unintended cost of, of that push and what's the right balance between, you know, pushing and, and supporting. Um, and so anyways, you got, you got my mind going, uh, today. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the thing though. Like we, we need to set the high expectations. That's critically important, especially like you said, for populations that, um, have long suffered from all kinds of equity issues and haven't had the opportunity. And for sure, we want our, our youngsters to go off to college and achieve. Um, but at some point that messaging becomes so hammered in their head that a student that doesn't do that and finds himself a year removed from high school and kind of looks around and thinks like, man, what, what am I doing with my life? Um, you know, I don't know that we're really preparing them very much for that, for that reality that like young adult life is, is one that likes to throw a lot of monkey wrenches and is one that each person individually eventually has to find their own path that works for them. But that's not really what we preach in most schools. I think what we preach in most schools is, you know, college, 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 career, career, career. And um, at some point, like we're setting folks up for for a real come to terms about their own value as a 20, 21, 22 year old who didn't go to college. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually making me think about uh, a recent um, episode that kind of went viral on social media. Mm. I think back like towards the end of the, uh, the summer, if memory serves. And I, of course, I'm forgetting his name now in the moment, but the actor who played Elvin on The Cosby Show. Oh, yeah, right. Um, who uh, was spotted working at a Trader Joe's and uh, someone took a picture and put it on Twitter and right. like was Trying was making him. fun of him, like how how the mighty have fallen type right. of a type of a thing. And he had a really fascinating uh, interview with some of the press afterwards where he was wearing his Trader Joe's like uniform or the badge and really talking about like the, the dignity of work right. and the, um, you know, like he's been an internationally famous superstar actor and he's been been like a working stiff actor and he's been the dude at Trader Joe's bagging groceries right and he's sort of seen the full spectrum of tremendous wealth and privilege and and like regular everyday stuff and uh you know really talked about like the um the dignity of work and that you know one job is not necessarily better than another it's different it might pay more it might have more prestige but um it's not inherently more worthy right. and i think there's there's an interesting kind of analogy there about um about education about the path that students take you know the the data definitely tells us some powerful things about the likelihood that a student will finish um, if they enter directly into a four-year school versus directly into a two-year school, sure. it's pretty starkly different, right? Um, and so there's a lot of reason to communicate to kids that, like, this is what the data tells us about the path that you are opening up or closing off to yourself, depending on your grades and test scores and all that, right? But, um, but there's not necessarily, uh, you know, a superiority to one path versus the other, right? There's right. Uh, There are advantages and disadvantages, but there's... Uh, you're not a failure because you have gone to a two-year college or because you, you know, have struggled and need to take an alternative path to get where you, you know, you ultimately want to go. And I would hate to think that we have young people that are feeling like they can't reach out and be still ask for support or be valued the same way they were right. because they're, they've had to switch paths or because they've made a choice to do something different. Um, you know, I would hope that they don't feel like they're their worth is less in our eyes because of that. 
Yeah, and you know, interesting that you brought up the junior college and transfer and, and versus going directly into a four-year college from high school um, point, because a few episodes ago, we had uh, Consuelo Martinez, who um, is a, currently a senior at UCLA, but she came onto our show to speak about her experience going from high school straight to a junior college and sort of the way that she um, received all this negative messaging from friends and teachers about like, as if she was uh, setting the expectations too low for herself by not going directly into a four-year college. And uh, she really uh, spoke powerfully about the negative narrative that we have about junior college, even though we won't come out and say it. You know, I think if you step onto pretty much any high school across the U.S. that um, champions college and has college days where teachers and pennants and, you know, everything's showing college logos and all this and that. Um, I'm pretty sure most of those logos and most of those t-shirts are four-year universities. And, and even though we might say verbally that there's nothing wrong with community college or, or junior college, um, students still get the impression that that's sort of like the either the backup or, or not to be celebrated as highly. So that just adds to the sort of anxiety that a student might feel um, by sitting here at this time of year knowing that they're not applying to these top schools because they maybe don't qualify because of GPA or whatever. And they see all these other students, their friends, you know, applying to you see this or university or whatever and feeling great about it. And they themselves are sitting there like, man, I feel like somehow I'm not doing enough or not doing it right. And that that sort of uh, inner dilemma is something that I don't think we explore very much in our you know day to day classes and lessons. And that's something that I think is uh, definitely a, a room for improvement for for myself, definitely and teachers in general. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope, you know, maybe there's some students out there uh, or some, you know, adults now mm -hmm. uh, out there who uh, might see this and maybe get a, a, a bit of a different perspective, right? That, uh, you know, we don't forget about you as your, as your teachers. We care about you. We continue to want what's best for you. And, uh, you know, so stay connected, stay in touch, reach out. And uh, who knows, maybe, maybe we can help in some way uh, as well, so... Yeah, um, I really like something that a fellow educator um, on Twitter um, mentioned about my, my ghosting story when I first wrote about it. He asked, he posed the question, do we create unrealist, unrealistic expectations or do we create safe spaces for them to endure life's speed bumps? And that was from uh, Noah Geisel. And this idea of creating these uh, safe spaces to endure life's speed bumps, even those students mm -hmm. who go off straight to a four-year university and are, you know, valedictorian and all those things like life still has these speed bumps that we we know and are very well documented in terms of the number of students who um, exit college within the first year or exit college within um, you know before attaining a degree and are we really preparing them for these speed bumps i would like to think that most most of us are in the sense of like teaching um, effort and teaching this idea of overcoming hardship and overcoming failure but uh, you know i think every teacher will say that but i don't know that it's really explicitly being taught and I think if we more explicitly teach this idea of overcoming challenges um, above and beyond like what's going on um, during high school, I think that might do well, uh, serve students well in terms of uh, dealing with life's challenges in the future. So uh, shout out Noah Geisel for, uh, for posing that very powerful question. Yeah. Uh, well, as usual, Manuel, you leave us uh, with a lot to think about. Great perspective. Uh, so thank you. Yeah. All right, folks, now it's time for class dismissed. We want to give a very special shout out to a Kentucky high schooler, Allison Tu, who founded the group Stamina. Stamina is the Student Alliance for Mental Health Innovation in Action. And she founded this after realizing that mental health concerns at her school were largely going um, unnoticed and unattended to. Stamina is a network of passionate students who are dedicated to improving mental health access in their schools. And according to uh, the publication The Week, students across Kentucky are reporting high amounts of psychological stress, anxiety, 
and depression, so much so that suicide is now the second leading cause of death for Kentucky youngsters. So Allison, too, isn't just talking about it. She's being about it, founding stamina and lobbying for um, a greater representation of mental health professionals in um, U.S. schools. And actually, the group that she founded, Stamina, is currently lobbying for Kentucky House Bill 604, which would require a school to have one mental health professional for every 1,500 students. One for every 1,500, still probably not enough, but a big improvement over what the system currently provides. So big up to Allison, too, and all of her uh, fellow students who are working hard on this issue. Yeah, congrats, Allison. I think it's really great. There's there's so much tribalism in uh, you know in our politics. It's great to see youngster uh, a youngster in a red state. Yeah. Uh, you know, really taking on these important issues that people need help with, like mental health. It's got nothing to do with with partisan politics. It's not a partisan issue. Mental health is one of those things that that people need, and Allison's helping uh, folks get that that service. So props, Allison, too. Indeed. All right. Uh, folks, we have one correction for you today. Earlier in today's episode, I mentioned that the Thomas B. Fordham Institute's report about grade inflation um, stated that one third of students who received a letter B grade in their class scored proficient on their end of class exams. Um, it's actually the opposite. Two thirds scored proficient on their end of class exams and one third did not score proficient. So uh, the larger point still stands. We have an issue uh, with grade inflation that's worth discussing, but uh, the problem is not as bad as I made it seem earlier. So apologies for that. Fake news, man, fake news. Fake news. Man. <laughs> Your organization's terrible. <laughs> Oh, All right, folks, thank humor. you for tuning in to the second episode of Season 2 of All of the Above. Please remember to subscribe and share this far and wide, and stay tuned for another um, edition of All of the Above coming at you very soon.